going to jump right into the Word, so go ahead, grab your Bibles, turn to John chapter 13. John chapter 13. My name is Brent Thomas. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, we're in a series called Power Players, Five Powerful Pieces That Can Change the Game. And the goal of this series is to get us to understand that there are things in our life, in our walk with the Lord, that when they're activated, when they become an active player in the game of life, they can completely alter the outcome. And when you think about a game like chess, like these pieces kind of on our series graphic, you have a lot of players on the board, but there are five power players, right? You have the rook, the knight, the bishop, the queen, and of course the king, which the game is all about. And I think that's why we're all here today, because it's all about the king, right? But chess is such an interesting game to me because if, if you were to just look at it for face value, it seems like a pretty simple concept. You have a, all these little pieces and they're, you're trying to take out the most pieces and corner capture the king. But there's like really complex rules involved in the game of chess, right? You would never look at it and guess that it was constrained. Each player, each piece was constrained by the way it could move the way that it is. Like the knight, like what a random way to move a piece on a board, right? And then really chess is so intriguing because there is so much strategy involved in the game. I had a very short um, career in my elementary school chess club. I, uh, my uncle ran the after school chess club in elementary school and he invited me to come and I actually enjoyed it. I enjoyed it, the game, um, but what I found out very, very quickly is that if you really wanted to be good at chess, if you wanted to compete and like do well, you had to devote a lot of mental energy to the strategy of the game. Really, you didn't just need to know what your next move was. You needed to know what your opponent's next move was going to be and be able to play off of that. And I'm kind of a competitive guy. I have uh, a competitive nature, but I don't have a lot of skill to back that up. I can talk some mean trash, but when it kind of you know comes down to it, I don't know if I could back up what I'm saying. My favorite thing is actually to be on a team with like a really highly athletic or skilled person and I'll just talk trash for them like the whole game. I'm the hype man. I'm like, yeah, he's going to get you, man. He's going to score. I'm going to be on the bench over here. But this competitive nature, it would come out even in elementary school chess club. Like I lost friends over the game of chess because really any type of game like this, any board game or Anything you're playing where it's one player versus another, those can be the most heated. Anybody like kind of ruined a family gathering over the game of Monopoly, right? It gets heated because naturally you want to win. And it's kind of set up in a way where you're viewing yourself as the good guy and the other person is the bad guy. You want to beat them. You want to destroy them. You want to take all of their pieces and capture their king. You don't want to lose because you're the good guy and they're the bad guy. And it's not always so black and white as that in life, but it is ingrained in our culture, this good guy versus bad guy. It's in the books that we read, it's in the shows that we watch, and it's in the games that we play. But today we're going to look at an example of the good guy versus the bad guy, and the power player that comes to the board and changes the game, Betrayal. Today's message is titled, The Truth About Betrayal. 
And as we continue through the Gospel of John, we're going to come across what is still to this day considered the greatest act of betrayal in human history. Judas Iscariot is synonymous with the word betrayal for his act of treason against the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In a twisted irony, with a kiss, he sealed the fate both of Jesus and himself. And while he didn't act alone, his role in the story is his alone to own. And his unrepentant sin was the thing that led him to hell for eternity. As sad and disappointing as it is, he is a real-life bad guy who came against the only true good guy, and he lost everything. Now, I understand this isn't a, a fun topic. This is not a rainbows and unicorns, everybody feel good message. But if we're going to be a church that believes in the authority of God's word, then we do not shy away when it gets hard. We do not skip around and only preach and teach the things that sound good or make us feel good, but really we use God's word as a full-length mirror to step in front of and see a terrible nature of a sinful man and say, do I have anything that resembles him? And in that, we can start to grow. We can continue in this process of sanctification, really. This is going from glory to glory through the power of the Holy Spirit and the revelation of God's word. Is everybody ready for that this morning? Let's do it. Let's read our passage for today. We're in John chapter 13, and we're going to start in verse 18. Jesus speaking says, I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, what you are going to do, do quickly. Now, no one at the table knew why he had said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. So we're picking up in our story back at the Last Supper. Jesus will be arrested within a few hours. So these are his last moments with the 12 men that he's poured his life into for the past three years. And one of these men, who we know to be Judas, is going to betray him. 
He's already been working on it at this point. There's a plan in place, a bounty price has been agreed on, and now he's waiting for his opportunity. Kind of sounds like a, a movie plot a little bit, doesn't it? Like we're arriving to the climax of the movie, and there's going to be this like epic twist in the story that just like changes everything. And I started to think about it, and there's a lot around the theme of betrayal in some like really classic movies that just like kind of change, alter the outcome of the movie. I'm sure we could think of a lot of them, but here's, here's a few that I thought of. The Lion King, Scar, murdering his brother in a kid's movie. Classic, Disney, well done. Betrayal, just betrays his brother. Frozen, Prince Hans. I gotta, I'm just being honest, I never saw that coming. The first time I saw that movie, I was wrecked. It's like, I did not see that coming. Jurassic Park, Dennis sells out the whole park, gets eaten by a dinosaur. The Matrix, Cypher, I want to remember nothing. Hoping that he could be inserted back into the Matrix, he sells out his friends. Lord of the Rings. Saruman, the white, betrays his old friend Gandalf the Grey and joins Sauron's forces. Epic. And probably the most intense scene I've ever witnessed in movie history, Star Wars, The Empire Strikes Back. Landau Calrissian selling his friends to the evil empire. Ends up getting Han Solo frozen in carbonite. I just need a minute just to get over that for a second. I know. Remember that? That was a great scene. Remember? Han. There's probably so many more that you can think of, maybe some better ones than those, but what's so different about betrayal portrayed in movies or even in real life in the story that we're looking at today is that in the movies, in your life, the good guy never saw it coming. That's really what was so intense about the act of betrayal is that they never saw it coming. Nobody knew it was happening. There's a collective like <gasps> moment when it's revealed. It changed the plan. Really the greatest act of betrayal is when there's a team of people or friends together and they're on the plan and they're moving towards something together and then all of a sudden the betrayal happens and now the plan is ruined. And the hero may recover may be able to eventually thwart the plan of the betrayer, but it's completely altered everything. The plan has to change. But here's the first truth about betrayal that we need to understand when it comes to Jesus and Judas. Number one, betrayal can't stop God's plan. Betrayal can't stop God's plan. Read it again in verse 18. I'm not speaking of all of you. This is Jesus after he's declare them all as clean. I know who I am chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Jesus knew it was coming. It was not a surprise. In fact, the scripture that he's referring to being fulfilled is Psalm 41, verse 9. It's David writing about an act of betrayal in his own life. He pens this line in that psalm. He says, even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. Really, that translates to, he kicked me when I was down. 
This betrayal is not a surprise to Jesus. He knew it was going to happen. He knew when it was going to happen, and he knew who it was coming from. And friends, I want that to be an encouragement to you today. That we serve and follow the God who knows how to work all things together for good. That any act of betrayal, maybe that you've faced in your life, or maybe that you've committed, God can turn that, can change that, and keep his plan active in your life. That relationship, that friendship, where they stabbed you in the back. The significant other who cheated on you. The coworker who threw you under the bus. That relative that abused you. None of that changed God's plan for your life. God saw it coming, and now he wants to use it to finish his plan in your life. And you might say, well, Brent, if God saw it coming, if he knew it was going to happen, and he's a loving and good God, why would he allow something like betrayal to happen in my life? And I would answer this, that betrayal, like all sin, is the result of living in a fallen world. Really, the first sin that was ever committed was an act of betrayal. That Adam and Eve, God's first creation of man and woman, the closest relationship to God that any human has probably ever experienced, walking with him in the cool of the garden, they would turn their backs on him for the promise of a life that was a lie. They betrayed their creator. And since that first bite of fruit, our hearts have been inclined towards betrayal, to get what we want, to serve ourselves. And so living in this world just means that we're going to encounter that. It is a guarantee that you will encounter some form of betrayal at some point in your life. But the truth you can cling to amidst the hurt of betrayal is that it cannot stop God's plan. It's, a, it's another great twist in the story where God says, I will take what the enemy meant for evil, and I will use it for good. Betrayal can't stop God's plan. The next truth is this. Betrayal can't change God's commission. Betrayal can't change God's commission. Verse 20, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. Kind of a, a random interjection right here. It feels a little out of place. What he's doing is he's repeating himself in Matthew 10.40 as he's sending out the disciples to go heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, and preach the good news of Jesus Christ. He says these exact words to them. Whoever receives you... The ones I'm sending, they receive me, Jesus. And if they receive me, Jesus, then they receive the one who sent me. They receive the Father. And so right in the midst of him kind of having this big reveal, he is telling them, hey, the, the plan's still in place. Your commission is still active over your life. You need to go and build the kingdom. Why did he say this again at the Last Supper? Why right here in the midst of this? 
because he knew that the disciples were about to get rocked. That the truth of what they were about to find out and what Jesus was about to go through would completely mess them up. They would be scattered. Peter's about to deny Jesus three times in a row. Their faith was wavering, and he wanted to give them something to build their confidence. If you like to write things down, here's a way I was saying it as I studied this week. Betrayal might shake your confidence, but it won't sway God's calling. It might shake your confidence, but it won't sway God's calling. I know a lot of people who have encountered some form of betrayal in their life, and, and it's wrecked them. To the point of where they just don't even believe that God wants to use them or can use their life anymore. Man, I don't know how I can follow God after what I've been through. I don't know if I can trust his plan. If he's really good, if he's really trying to do things in my life, why is it so hard? I don't think I'll get that close to people ever again because I never want to feel this way ever again. I just want to tell you that God has not changed his calling on your life. He has given you gifts that he wants to use for you to build his kingdom. He has given you relationships and influence on people's lives that no one else in this world can have. So that you can share the good news of Jesus Christ with boldness. So that you can lean into relationships and show them the love of a savior. He has a plan and a purpose for your life that is so far above the hurt and the pain that you've gone through that as you look back, you will see that it served a greater purpose to understand that, man, the Savior who was betrayed still loved, still chose to give up his life. He has commissioned you, heal, bring life, rebuke the enemy, in the power and the name of Jesus Christ. Now those are two kind of encouraging truths about betrayal that can't stop God's plan, it can't change God's commission, and our last few points for the morning are going to be kind of more characteristics of betrayal that will allow us to understand fully what does it look like and how can I avoid it. The third point is this. Betrayal can't come from a distance. Betrayal can't come from a distance. Have you ever felt betrayed by something that really had nothing to do with you? Like you were not a factor in the decision at all, but you just kind of feel like hurt, like on a deep level because of it? Like maybe you like were really into this like obscure show and then they just like cancel it mid-season, and you're like, I'm like hurt by this. This is not, I feel betrayed. What happened to these characters? What happened to the plot? Like, this is not all right. Or like maybe, the, the, I feel like this has happened to me a few times where you get like really, you're like really loyal to a product or a brand or something, and then the store just like stops carrying it, and you like ask, and they're like, yeah, we just didn't sell a lot of those, and they just stop making them. You're like, I bought a lot of those things, actually. It's very reliant on those. Or maybe this one might be kind of a stretch, but maybe you have a sports team that does really well in the season, and then whenever they get to the playoffs, they just <laughs> they just seem to like always let you down, and there's just heartbreak, and that's kind of a stretch. I don't know if you guys could get there. I see there's like a mob forming right now. 
that's ready to take me out. No, but I mean, it's like, it's kind of funny that we, we carry so much hurt from these things because you, you had nothing to do with this. Like nobody from the Minnesota Vikings is calling you like, gotcha, thanks for loving us, you jerk. <laughs> it's not happening. Like they're not like trying to betray you, right? Because true betrayal, it comes from those that are close to us. It's that person that we thought that we knew, that relationship that was so close, that's when it hurts the most. That's like true betrayal, that sick, gut-wrenching feeling that, are you serious? That person? And Jesus felt that from Judas. Read verse 21 again. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit. That word troubled is the same as what the apostles felt when they saw Jesus walking on the water. It's fear, anxiety. Remember, he's fully human. And he testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Now you can read that and you can kind of just take it at face value, but you kind of got to put yourself into the story a little bit. Um, we're at the Last Supper. And just to be clear, Da Vinci's portrayal of the Last Supper is wildly inaccurate. Like, everybody was not on the same side of the table looking at the camera, right? John's back there like, selfie, you know, Jesus. No, it's not how it would have happened at all. It would have been actually a low table, um, like probably lower than a coffee table. And there would have been these low couches arranged in kind of a U-shape around the table with the head of the table kind of being the seat of honor. And that's where Jesus would have been sitting. And they would have all kind of been leaning back, just like kind of chill, leaning back on the couch and then using their other hand to grab food, like just super chilled out. Sounds kind of fun. Just relaxing, having a good time, enjoying dinner together. And Jesus has been teaching. He, everybody's kind of listening. And remember, he just finished washing their feet. Remember that? He washed everyone's feet, even Judas's. And now they're sitting and Jesus is kind of talking and he reminds them of their calling. He says, hey, I know what's about to happen. I just want, I'm going to tell you that before, before it happens so that you know, you continue to know that I am he, I am the Messiah. And remember what you're supposed to be doing. And then he says he's troubled in his spirit. He's kind of imagine he pauses here and he takes a breath and the room's kind of like, shifting and he says truly truly I say to you one of you will betray me stunned silence is the room we don't know for how long but they're all probably looking around and some other gospel accounts it says that eventually they started a discussion is it I is he talking about me 
It's not I, Lord. It's, it's certainly not me, Lord. They're dumbfounded by this statement. Now think about that for a second, right? None of the disciples suspected that it was Judas. It's not like Jesus said this and everybody kind of just like turned and looked at Judas. Like, it's you. It's Nobody. Everybody's asking, it. is he talking about me? Is he talking about somebody else, someone outside of the 12? Like, what, what could he possibly mean by that? And Jesus is kind of done talking here. He's just, he just dropped this bomb in the room, and then he's just kind of, I'm sure he's just like grieved over it, and he's kind of having his own moment. And, and Peter is, is seated far enough away from Jesus that he can't, either he can't ask him a question without like yelling it to him, or because Jesus just scolded him about the whole, hey, give me a bath, and he's like, you're already clean, like you don't get it. Like he's probably like, I'm not saying anything else. John, John. Who's he talking about? John, ask him. Right? And John is, uh, you know, so Jesus at the seat of honor, and John's sitting next to Jesus in a place of honor at the head of the table. And so they're all kind of leaning, so he kind of like just scooches over and leans over to Jesus and has a, like a whisper conversation. He's like, who is it, Lord? Who is it? And Jesus answered back, it's, it's he it is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. And then you can almost see Jesus like leaning forward from that moment, right, and grabbing the bread, and it's for sure everything's happening in slow motion with a John Williams soundtrack in the background, right, where it's just like super epic reveal moment in the movie. And John's like, what's going to happen, right? And there would have been this big bowl in the middle of the table that had like mashed figs and dates and salt and bitter herbs, maybe spinach artichoke dip, we don't know. But he's just like, he's just leaning forward and he would, have, he would have scooped it and dipped it and he turns and like you can almost see the montage of him like all the disciples, like who's he going to hand it to, right? And then he hands it to Judas. Dun, 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 right? But John would have been the only one who heard that declaration from Jesus. It wasn't like Jesus was like, hey, I'm going to give this piece of bread and that's the traitor, right? Because if I was Judas, I'd be like, I'm not eating that piece of bread. No thanks. No, it's, it was a silent, it was like just revealed to John for that moment. So he hands it to Judas and, and nobody like freaks out. And I'm sure John is kind of like, oh my gosh. And he's having this like flashback moment where everything's starting to make sense of all these things he saw in Judas's life how he's the betrayer. But it's significant that Jesus did it this way because this was actually a great act of honor in their dinner that they were having. For the person at the head of the table, the, the guest of honor, to hand the piece of bread dipped in that mixture to someone in the room was like an act of love and honor, like bestowing upon them, like, hey, you're, you're awesome. And then what's also significant is we know that John was seated on one side of Jesus and Judas was right next to him on the other side. So this whole time at this Last Supper with Jesus fully aware of the betrayal that's about to happen, Jesus is choosing to show Judas love and honor and grace. Washing his feet, honoring him with the food, seating him right next to him. And you have to kind of wonder as this moment happened, as Jesus handed it out, 
to Judas, they would have met eyes. They would have locked eyes for a moment. And did Judas waver? Did he see the love in Jesus' eyes? Understand that Jesus, he's not dumb. Jesus just called it out in the room. I'm sure John's, or Judas is sweating profusely, thinking maybe I should get up and leave, but that'd be super obvious, so maybe I'll just kind of wait for my moment. And then Jesus has this little intimate moment with him of honor, and they lock eyes, and did Judas question every decision he had made? Did he have a moment where he was like, should I do this? But as he reached for it, and as he took it, he sealed his decision to deny and betray Jesus. Three years with this man. Countless hours spent next to Jesus, hearing all of his teachings, witnessing every miracle. All that time and opportunity and those relationships, and he threw them out for 30 pieces of silver. The warning with this truth that Betrayal doesn't come from a distance is this. Proximity and community does not guarantee intimacy with God. Judas was put in the perfect environment to be a committed and devoted follower of Jesus Christ, and he still rejected him. As a parent, I understand that there is a grave reality that I can bring my kids to church, I can buy them 10 Bibles, I can send them to every church event, I can put them in every godly relationship that I want to try to force them into, and they can still reject Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. They have that choice. And the same is true for us in the room today. You can come to church Every single weekend, you can be 15 minutes early and stay 15 minutes after, and you can read your Bible, and you can say your prayers, and you can go to group, and you can do all of that and still reject Jesus Christ as your Savior. You can still betray Him. Betrayal is not a decision you can make from a distance. It is when you are close, and everyone thinks that you are one way. And then the power player of betrayal will completely change the game of your life. And there's a long run, runway up to the point of deciding to betray someone. That's our fourth point. Number four, betrayal can't happen suddenly. Betrayal can't happen suddenly. Judas didn't wake up that morning as a devoted disciple and by dinner decide to betray Jesus. Look at verse 27, it says, Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, what are you going to do? Do quickly, meaning let's get on with it. Satan is not omnipresent. He can't be multiple places at once. So the fact that it says Satan entered, entered Judas means literally Satan took control of Judas. And that's because Judas, by confirming his betrayal of Jesus, he now had everything he needed from that man to fulfill his evil plan. There's a lot of theories around the idea that Judas was actually a good guy. He had noble intentions. He was trying to help Jesus bring about his kingdom on earth, and he got duped by Satan. 
into thinking that he was helping when really he was betraying. That would make this moment tragically confusing. Why Jesus, the loving Savior, would know that this would happen to one of his disciples and allow it. Why he wouldn't warn him or give him a chance to repent. And rather, all throughout Scripture it says, Jesus said that he knew the hearts of men, that he didn't need anyone to reveal it to him. He knew what was going on in Jesus' heart. Rather, John explains throughout the gospel this pattern of greed and a love of money and all of these things that drove Judas to actually steal from the money bag that he was entrusted with. He was the treasurer of Jesus Christ's ministry and he stole from it regularly. His rebuke of the woman anointing Jesus' feet at Bethany was not because he thought it could really help the poor, but rather he saw dollar signs that were not going into his pocket. For the three years he had been with Jesus, he had been on a path that allowed Satan to get footholds in his life that ultimately led to his choice to give himself fully over to Satan. It doesn't happen suddenly. And maybe at this point in our time together this morning, you're like, I would never betray Jesus. I mean, yeah, I mess up, I sin, I do things that are wrong, I get it but like Satan possessing me type of betrayal, like it's not happening. I'm not that far away from it. That's what I would say to myself and all the disciples that were in that room is that they weren't as far away as maybe they thought they were. The warning is for us that we need to face and check our hearts on this. There is a, a path to betrayal. So here are five steps on the path to betrayal. Don't miss these. Examine yourself considering them. I've put verses next to each of them so that you can have some reading this week as you go back through the list and kind of check your heart. You can see where these warnings are at in Scripture to kind of walk the opposite way. Ask the question, where do I need to turn and repent? Five steps on the path to betrayal. Number one, you wear a disguise. You wear a disguise. For the three years that Judas was with these men and Jesus, he had never once truly acted like himself. He wore a disguise the whole time. He pretended to be one way when he was around them, and then in secret, around the right people, he acted like his true self, which was evil. You wear a disguise. Number two, your heart is discontent. Your heart is discontent. I'm sure so many times when Jesus was preaching about the fact that you had to be less to ultimately be more and that the servant is not greater than his master and all of these things that Jesus was so frustrated by the idea that he wasn't going to get what he wanted out of this life. Foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head and Judas is trying to like pad his life. So he's constantly fighting against this thing of discontentment, grumbling, complaining. Your heart is discontent. Number three, you are easy to distract. Why did Judas have all this time and energy to focus on a plan, an act of betrayal? Because he wasn't on mission. He wasn't thinking and focus on the things that Christ had told him to be focused on. Rather, he was thinking about his own life. He got his eyes off of 
Jesus and the Lord, and he put them on himself and his circumstances and his life, and he was distracted. You can almost imagine that when Jesus sent out the 12 with the power to heal the sick and raise the dead and cleanse the lepers, that Judas was probably annoyed that he had to go do work for Jesus. You are easy to distract. Number four, you want to disobey. Jesus preaching to the rich, young ruler, and it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter heaven. And Judas is like, don't care. Don't care. I'm going to do my thing. He wanted to disobey. I get that we all disobey and we sin and we mess up. But a heart of like, I want to do the opposite of what I know to be right because it feels good is the path to betrayal. And then number five, you choose to deny. You choose to deny. You're faced with the ultimate decision of your life. Will you follow Jesus Christ, this person, this man that came, lived a perfect life, a sinless life, and is ultimately going to the cross? Will you follow him? Will you give him your life? No. I choose, I'm choosing to deny. No. If you find yourself walking in or around this path, watch out. Be careful. Repent. Confess. Ask for forgiveness. Because the greatest tragedy to me in this whole story is the fact that Judas killed himself before he ever had the chance to repent. Judas's betrayal sent Jesus to the death that paid for Judas's betrayal. Ultimately, Judas was the most betrayed because I'm sure Satan had offered him so many promises of riches and glory in his life for doing this. You think of Jesus in the wilderness and how Satan was able to show Jesus all the kingdoms of the world and said, if you just bow and worship me, I'll give you all of this. You wonder if in Judas's mind's eye, Satan had this reality that he had created for Judas of how much better his life would be once Jesus was gone. That he'd have more money, he'd have more freedom from this heaven-minded king who had no idea what it was like living here on earth. He was so focused on the eternal life. All these promises unfulfilled because the moment it happened, Judas was so ridden with guilt and shame over what he had done, not repentant, not asking for forgiveness, but just the sickness of, look what I've done. I'm a terrible person. That he takes the money, throws it at the feet of the people who gave it to him, and he goes and he hangs himself in a field. In betrayal, like every sin, Eventually, it comes out and it's exposed by the light. It's our last point for this morning. Betrayal can't stay hidden. Betrayal can't stay hidden. It says in, in verse 30 that after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out. And it was night. See the light again. Both walk in darkness, but we'll have the light of life. And then over in 1 John, 
1.5, he says, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Repent and believe in Jesus as his true savior. The glorious truth of the gospel is that we have that opportunity today. You don't have to live with the sin and the shame that Judas felt. We're going to close with Ephesians chapter 5. If you'll turn in your Bibles over to Ephesians chapter 5. And I want to read this as kind of a heart check, a, a moment to be reflective and, and realize that there is truth for us in this passage of betrayal. It's an epic story, would make a great movie. I think it has a few times. But really what we're trying to do here in this moment is say, God, is there something in my life that is leading me down a path that I don't want to go? I want to bring my sin. I want to bring anything that is not of you that feels like it's in darkness. And I want to bring it into the light. Help me to be so far away from the person and type of Judas that it won't even be a consideration in my mind. I want to be holy devoted to you because the opposite of betrayal church is devotion submitting yourself loyally to Jesus Christ and that means facing the reality that I'm not everything I should be that there is sin that so easily entangles that I need to constantly bring to the light so that I don't walk in darkness Ephesians chapter 5 Start in verse 6. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Let's pray together. Father, there is a harsh reality that we don't want to consider that there are people in our lives that we know, that we've interacted with, God, maybe even in this room today, who are on a path towards the betrayal of Jesus Christ, that they would deny him as their savior and choose to live a life for themselves rather than in the love and the grace that you've so amazingly extended out to us. Just God, we face this word and we say that there is, um, there is a truth here for us today to not be partners 
with those that walk in darkness, but rather be children of the light. So, Lord, we admit our weaknesses to you. We confess our sin. Lord, where it says in your word that when we confess that there is a a washing that happens, there is a renewal in our hearts. And we join with the, the psalmist in Psalm 51 and say, Restore to me the joy of my salvation. God, we love you. We want to devote ourselves wholly to you. And may we do that through the truth of your word and through the conviction of your Holy Spirit right now in this moment. I pray for anyone in the room that is feeling shameful or like they're not doing the right thing and they can't measure up. I pray that they would just lean into your heart for them. God, like like we're sitting at the dinner table with you and we just want to lean back against you and say, God, I'm not good enough. In that, God, we find a a gracious Savior who loves us and wants so badly to have a relationship with us where we just cast everything at your feet and we live for you and we stop trying to do it ourselves and we stop trying to make our plans happen and our circumstances better so that we can live a, a great life here but have no mindset towards the future, the eternal life that we have with you. So God, help us be devoted followers for the glory of your kingdom. We love you. You are more than enough for us, God. So we choose to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.